scripture reading tonight is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, Follow me. The word of the Lord. I was told if I only spoke for five minutes, y'all would understand. And if I spoke for an hour, you would also understand. I think that was in reference to how many kids I have and a need for adult conversation. (laughs) I won't speak for an hour. Um, God has taken two years to allow this text to percolate from my head to my heart. I picked this passage two years ago and I signed up for the preaching team, or the preaching class that Doug was teaching. I don't know why I picked it at the time, um, and I certainly didn't understand the depth of its meaning at the time. But shortly after, I began to understand that this was not a text that, that I had picked, but it was given to me. Roughly two years ago, um, someone I loved and very close to me began a journey through a deep valley. He has lost relationships, financial security, and his community. He's by no means perfect, but he's not the kind of person you would have expected this to happen to. He's the person who's never met a stranger. He's the first one you call when you need help. He's Mr. Fix-It when it's broken. A wealth of knowledge on many subjects, especially the Bible. A lifetime of success in his career, his family, and his spiritual life made him a pillar in his community. So when his life began to unravel several years ago through a series of his decisions, you could almost hear the collective gasp of those who never saw it coming, including myself. We've all experienced failure to some degree. Like a fresh box of shiny new crayons, we all start out sharpened and ready to color. But adversity hits, and opportunities for failure are ever-present. We end up fragmented, discarded, we lose our labels, and we get lost in the fray. Failure comes in all shapes and sizes, but tonight I'm specifically speaking about moral failure. 
that occurs when there's a breach in our relationship with Christ. Moral failure doesn't just happen. It begins with a series of small, seemingly insignificant choices that lead us away from our relationship with Christ, away from our community, away from the truth, and away from accountability. Before we know it, we're in the middle of a life situation we created by our own sin. Moral failure cuts deep. And it often leaves a wake of far-reaching consequences. It follows us around like this cloud over our head. It's the thing we don't want people to see. It's the things we don't want to talk about. It's the thing we're afraid of. It's... Um, and if we could have if we could have a do over, we would make drastically different choices. There are places we wouldn't go. There are relationships we would avoid. There is business we would definitely sidestep. There are purchases we wouldn't make, and there is advice we would take if we could go back and have a second chance. But we can't undo it. We can't unlive it, and we can't make up for the past. Public failure is excruciating. The paradox is, in God's economy, the people that experience the greatest success often endure the greatest failures. And Peter was one of these people. The Galilean shore represented Peter's livelihood, his passion and training, and he left it all behind to follow Jesus It was on these shores three years ago when Jesus called his disciples to follow him, and they left everything behind. Here again, Jesus finds the disciples waiting on him. And when they see Jesus on the shore, it is Peter who jumps in the water to get to Jesus first. As the other disciples drag that net ashore. And when they get there, Jesus offers the hungry fishermen some breakfast over a hot coal fire. Sitting down to the fire, the smoke hanging heavy in the early morning sea fog, the smell of those hot burning coals take Peter back to another fire not many nights ago when he had failed miserably. All of his declarations of loyalty to Jesus were tested in front of that fire, and he failed We don't plan to fail. Neither did Peter. Humanly speaking, Peter had everything it took to succeed. He had determination, loyalty, resolve, and the willingness to sacrifice. But it was all rooted in his self-will. Scripture highlights Peter's earthly relationship with Jesus, specifically around the time of Christ's death. Just before Jesus was crucified in the upper room, Jesus took up the basin and towel to do what was only reserved for the lowliest, to wash his disciples' feet. Peter objects, you will never wash my feet. This was one of Peter's many failures in comprehending his master's course to the cross. And later, Jesus, speaking of his crucifixion, tells his beloved disciples, that he is leaving, and they will not be able to go with him. Out of self-confidence, Peter declares that he will follow Jesus wherever he goes, even to the death. Although he had good intentions, 
The seed of denial was sown in Peter's prideful independence and his lack of understanding of his own human weakness. Jesus sovereignly predicts Peter's failure when he answers, No, you won't. In fact, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. Peter, undeterred by Jesus' ominous prediction, um, sorry, um, is determined to prove his love for Jesus, and he tries to resist his arrest. In an act of physical courage, he raises his sword and cuts off the high priest's servant's ear. Arrested and bound, Jesus is taken to the high priest. The other disciples scatter, but Peter follows. Just outside in the courtyard, Peter discovers the end of his strength. He feels the fear seep in in his bravado and his determination wane. As he stood warming himself in front of that fire not many nights ago, the smallest accusation by a servant girl, no less, tests his loyalty to its limits and he is found wanting. In an act of self-preservation, at the point of Jesus' greatest suffering, Peter blatantly denies Jesus, not just once, but three times. The burning coals of Peter's faith grow cold, and just as Peter, or just as Jesus had predicted, the rooster crows, as if publicly heralding Peter's greatest failure of all. Scripture tells us that Peter went out and he wept bitterly. We don't plan to fail. No one sets out to sink their business because of greed. No one looks forward to blowing up their marriage because of lust. No one tries to alienate their children out of selfishness. And no one wants the consequences of failure that often follow Shame, isolation, addiction, and depression. On the contrary, we start out with a determination and the gusto of Peter, yet in our human frailty and our weakness, we stumble. No true follower of Christ can imagine denying Jesus, but we do. We do it in subtle and overt ways. We choose to gratify uh, sexual desires over purity. We choose greed over generosity, hate over forgiveness, complaining over gratitude. We esteem ourselves higher than others, and we let our pride win over a humble spirit. The question is, what do we have to look forward to after we fail? Can we find grace to continue in our walk with Jesus? So much had happened since the night of Peter's greatest failure. Jesus was crucified, rose from the dead, and had appeared to the disciples. Here again, in front of a fire built by the master he had denied, Peter eagerly desires to be in his presence. Remember, he jumped out of the boat. As breakfast settles in their stomachs, Jesus turns to Peter and asks, Simon? Son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter answers, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says to Peter, Feed my lambs. Again, 
Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter answers, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, tend my sheep. A third time, Jesus asks, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter had just affirmed his love twice, yet it wasn't enough for Jesus. Seemingly unable to convince Jesus of his love, he is hurt. Is there anything he can say to convince Jesus that he truly loves him? Had his denial of Jesus marked him unredeemable? No one likes to be reminded of their past failures. These questions opened up shame-filled wounds for Peter, but they were for his benefit. You see, just as Peter had publicly denied Jesus three times, he is now giving him an opportunity to affirm his love for Jesus three times. A third time, Jesus or Peter tries to convince Jesus of his love by appealing to his deity and his omniscience. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Jesus was not repeatedly asking Peter if he loved him to demand his love of him, to punish him, to embarrass him, or to make him pay for his failure. Jesus was not even looking for an apology from Peter. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, had already reconciled all of Peter's sins, all of his failures, past, present, and future. The blood of Jesus shed for Peter was sufficient in paying for his sin. The blood of Jesus shed for you is sufficient in paying for your sin. Jesus picked up all your failures. He carried them away and he nailed them to a cross. Why then is Jesus questioning Peter about his love? Maybe you're wondering too, why didn't Jesus ask Simon, son of John, do you believe in me? Or Simon, son of John, do you trust me? Jesus went for Peter's deepest felt need to love and be loved. Jesus is going after Peter's heart because only after Peter gives him his heart can he follow Jesus in faithful obedience. It seems as if even Peter recognizes the grace-filled question, do you love me, is for his own benefit. And he answers, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. With each repeated question, do you love me, Jesus is gently and gracefully restoring the the bond between himself and Peter, and he is reinstating him to a calling of shepherding his flock. This text gives us one example of how Jesus gently and gracefully pursues us in our failures to restore us back to him. Notice how Peter went back to the place he first met Jesus. In his desire to be in his presence again, he goes back to Galilee where he first understood who Jesus was. Notice also 
how Jesus went back to where he had first found Peter because he knew Peter would be waiting on him there. I asked a few of you to share your stories of when God invited you to step into relationship with him and how he brought you back to those sacred places to deepen his love for you or to deepen your love for him. I was told of a story of a young woman who paralleled her life experiences with Peter's story. She hated God and Christians. She was addicted to heroin and methadone and with two unwanted pregnancies. She entered detox followed by rehab at the age of 19. During the course of her rehab, she was given the assignment to cut out words, pictures, and symbols that represented her current life and to place them on a board. The ones that she chose all represented death and darkness. A week later, they asked her to do the same assignment, but this time they asked her to cut out words, pictures, and symbols that represented the life that she wanted. For the first time in her life, she told me she got a glimmer of the divine as she realized she even had hopes and dreams. Today, the only picture she remembers cutting out and placing on that board was the hope and dream of having children, a family. Fast forward a decade, and she is pregnant again, but this time with a child she desperately wants. The beauty and the fragility of life she carried overwhelmed her, but all she could hear was the lie that she was unworthy of God's love and unworthy of the, a, a gift of a child. She felt so undeserving, but God began to invite her into a conversation, and she began to ask God, how do you see me? Who do you say I am? Although her first two pregnancies had left her feeling hopeless and empty, through the gift of a baby that she had hoped for many years ago, God began to free her from the lies that kept her from seeing and knowing that she was a true daughter of the King, created in his image and made to bring glory to the Creator. During her pregnancy, she began to understand just how much God loved her. Where did you first fall in love with Jesus? Where are the places God has revealed himself to you? Maybe it's not a geographical place like it was for Peter. It might be a person who spoke truth into your life in a loving way that led you to Christ. It may be a time in nature where his creation shouted his love for you. It may be a poem or a song that quietly spoke hope into your life. When we go back to these sacred grounds, seeking his presence, we are reminded of his unconditional love for us. When we return to the safe places where our hearts were tender and receptive to his voice, we can again hear the calling on our life. With each affirmation of love towards Jesus, Peter is given a fresh start. Peter's pastoral call is a fresh one, but it's not a new one. It's a continuation of the one Jesus called him to in Matthew 16, 17 through 19. He said to them, the disciples, but who do you say I am? 
Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is the same calling Jesus is reinstating Peter to when he says, Feed my sheep. If indeed Peter loves Jesus, he will obey his calling to tend the flock Jesus is leaving behind. Failure is not a person. It is an event. It is part of the journey, but it is not the destination. It is not the end of the road when we respond to the grace Jesus offers. We should never allow our failure to make us think that we are a failure and that God is unable to use us because of our mistakes. In failure, it is natural to want to abandon the call of Jesus. In our despair, discouragement, shame, we may feel unqualified, undeserving, or unappreciated. We self-protect, and we resort to a lesser version of our calling, or we abandon our calling altogether. The lies of the enemy are loud that tell us we are done, no longer of use, and must resign to a less than abundant life. And so we often go back to our own fishing boats, to what we know we can succeed at in our own strength, and we leave the supernatural, spirit-filled calling behind. Peter knew how to fish. He knew how to make a living in Galilee and be successful. However, Jesus is reminding Peter of his greater calling to feed his sheep and to tend his flock. This calling is motivated by love for Jesus, and it can only be sustained through the strength of his spirit. Failure is part of the preparation and walking in obedience with Christ. Like rungs of a ladder in spiritual growth, it serves to show us our weaknesses and our blind spots, but it also prepares us for faithfulness and success. When we are broken and allow the Spirit to transform our self-will into self-denial, we are able to correctly evaluate our failure. Then we are able to respond to the call of Jesus on our life with two important tools. One, abiding humility that reminds us that no self-will can replace the motivation that true love for Christ gives. And two, a trust in divine destiny that reminds us that despite our unfaithfulness, Jesus is faithful. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. One might conclude that Peter's betrayal of Jesus would have slammed the door shut on his calling. Instead, Peter responds to the grace Jesus offers and chooses to follow him. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. The world loves to heap shame on those who fail. 
But what the world labels as imperfect and damaged, God calls perfect and with great purpose. What do we do after failure? What is the next step? How do we accept the grace God offers? Jesus sums it up in two simple words. Follow me. Obedience out of love for Jesus is the first step in walking away from past failures and moving toward an abundant, spirit-filled life in Christ. Obedience is costly, and for Peter, it would mean his life. Jesus says to Peter in verse 18, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. When Peter denied Jesus, he did it out of self-preservation. He knew his association with Jesus would mean physical death. But now Jesus is telling Peter that if he loves him and follows him, his life will be sacrificed. Following Jesus never comes without a sacrifice. It requires us to examine our self-preserving ways, and it is the work of the Spirit that transforms our self-preserving ways into a self-sacrificing obedience. For over three decades, Peter faithfully followed Jesus in obedience, perseverance, and courage with the knowledge of his predicted death. In the ancient world, stretch out your hands was widely understood to mean crucifixion, Extra-biblical writings support that Peter was probably crucified in Rome under the rule of Nero. But maybe you're not Peter tonight. But there's a Peter in your life. At lunch last week, I asked my loved one what he needed to hear from Jesus. And he said that he still loves me. His hope is that God is faithful even when we are not. And now he waits. He waits to see if Jesus can take his broken life and somehow use it. If there is someone you know who has failed, is paralyzed by guilt or hiding in shame, give them a safe place to be vulnerable and to admit their failure and to process through it. Walk with them as they pursue faithful obedience. I confess I don't think I've done a very good job of this because I know it can be very difficult, especially when you find yourself in the wake of their consequences. But more importantly, I know that this is an act of obedience on my part in following Christ. Give them the message of hope that Jesus is waiting for them on the other side of this deep valley with great grace to restore them and Restore them to a greater purpose than they ever imagined. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 4.8, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. I can't help but wonder if when Peter wrote this in his old age, if the hot coals and the salt water breakfast mixed with Jesus' gentle question, Do you love me? were in his mind. As one who had experienced abundant grace in his deepest valley, 
Peter charges the church, you and I, to love each other deeply, not only in our faithful times, but also through our deepest failures. And if you are Peter tonight, don't be surprised when you fail in your walk with Jesus. Anyone who follows Jesus will at times fail and be in desperate need of reconciliation. Do not stay buried under the weight of your failure. Your failure story makes God's grace story even louder. Remember that Jesus died for you, he rose for you, and he has chosen you out of this world for his purpose. By grace, Jesus reconciled you to him in love, and he is calling you out to follow him. We love him because he first loved us. And out of our stumbling and failure, we can be transformed into his likeness as we follow after him. Will you pray with me?